All right, I have some questions for you tonight. Questions that might put the harmony and the unity of this church at risk. Just Sabra said, oh no. Is that Sabra? Oh, that's great. Coke or Pepsi? Sprite. Who said Sprite? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that, that's a Coke product though, right? All right, okay. So maybe we'll do Coke products versus Pepsi products. Who, who are my Coke product people? Anybody out there? All right, who are my Pepsi product people? All right, they're in the minority as they should be. Just saying. All right, you ready for another one? You know where I'm going, right? Starbucks coffee or Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Who are my Starbucks coffee people? Starbucks coffee. All right, who are my Dunkin' Donuts coffee people? All right. Now, Dunkin' Donuts gets a double mention because they also sell something else. Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme Donuts? Thank Yes, thank you. Because they have a hot sign. Dunkin' Donuts does not have a hot sign. They do not. If you don't have a hot sign, you shouldn't be selling donuts. I'm just, I'm just saying. Let, let me, so let's go back to the, to, to the soda. Or if you're from up north, maybe you say pop. Anybody say pop? Anybody? All right, thank you, thank you. If, if, if you have a bottle of pop, I'll pretend like I'm from up north. You have a, I can't even say it, right? Vanessa said, just stop it already. If you, have, if you have a bottle of soda, whatever you prefer, and it's not the twist-off kind, right? It's the one where you've got to actually remove a bottle cap, but you do not have a legit bottle opener with you, how are you going to open that bottle? Anybody? Yeah, edge of the table. Look, she can do it. She's got the motion. It's got, anybody else? That was, I was like, dang, that's what I would do. Anybody else got any creative ways? How do you open your bottle? Screwdriver. All right. Somebody in the middle here? See some thinking? Keys, yes. You can use a key. Anybody over here? Yes, you can use your wedding ring. You can get it up there and leverage it, pop it off. A butter knife. All right. Anybody down here? Another, yes, you can. You could use the inverted, right? Upside down, right side up. Yes, ma'am. A handle, yes, you can. A handle of a spoon. In fact, I found online there are 10 ways, at least 10. Edge of a table, scissors, belt buckle, wedding ring, dollar bill. Now, I'm going to say I tried a dollar bill twice last night, and I could not do it. Now, the guy on the YouTube video, he used a $100 bill. I don't have any of those. But I think they're made of the same kind of paper, are they not? So you should look that up. It's crazy. I told Vanessa, maybe I'm just not strong enough to open up a bottle with a dollar bill. Then you've got a door latch, a rubber band, I kid you not, another bottle, somebody said that, a spoon, somebody said that, or the bottom of a lighter. There's, there's all kinds of creative ways that you can open up a bottle of your favorite drink or beverage if you don't have your bottle opener. So let me ask you this question. What would happen if we stopped reading the Bible just as an accurate history of what has happened, and start reading it as a collection of promises from God for us for today. Let me read it again. What would happen if we stopped reading the Bible as just an accurate history of what has happened? And I do believe that the Bible is an accurate, reliable history. In the academic circles, we would call that the historicity of Scripture. We believe in the historicity of Scripture here at City Life Church. But it's not just an accurate history of what has happened. It's a collection of promises from God to us for today. These experiences that we see other people having, I think they're in there for a reason because they happen, but one of the reasons why I think God wants us to see them is because he's saying to you and to me, hey, some of these experiences are waiting for you. 
The promises were for them, they're for you. The principles were for them to live by, they're for you. And as we're going to see tonight, as we read in the story of Jesus' resurrection, we find him opening some things that are not easily opened. And I believe these moments where he steps in and things that are opened, it's not just an historical account. It's an invitation. They are promises for how he intends to open things for you and I today. So, Father, as we dive into this message tonight, I pray that you would begin to stir in us a faith to believe that you're still in the business of opening things. Beyond just a favorite beverage, that God, we know that you've brought people here tonight, whether they're in this room or part of our online community, they're holding on to some things that need to be opened. And we pray that for all of us, we would avail ourselves to your hand and let you open those things. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. This, this sermon is kind of bringing us in the home church. It was going to be the, the last night, but I can't. We, we've been using this, if you're visiting with us, the story. This is an incredible resource. It's a novel version of the Bible. Everything in it is actual text from the Bible, but it is abridged. And the idea is to introduce you to the major themes of the Bible. Even if you're a student of the Bible, you go back and pick up something like this. I'm telling you, you're going to see things that you've not seen before. And so what we did, we're just jumping into a little bit of a series. We started with Genesis. We did chapter one of the story, but then we jumped to the New Testament. It's like, I can't, I can't not do some of the book of Acts. So we're going to extend it one more week to next week just to dive in to the birth of the early church. We've been doing a small group on Wednesday nights as a follow-up to Saturday. And so even if you've not been to any of them, this Wednesday is going to be our last one. You should come. You should come. No more. There's not one this Wednesday. You should not come this Wednesday. <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm so, I've, it's been good. All right. It's Thanksgiving this week. Yes. If you come, you're going to be here by yourself. But there is a bottle opener in the kitchen if you need one. Oh, that's so good. That's great. I love it. Tonight's three keys. Let me give you three texts that we're going to look at tonight. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone from us, the entrance to the tomb? Let's look at the next one. Luke 24, 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And let's look at one more, Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Three different moments in the story of the resurrection of Jesus. We, we see this idea of something being opened that was closed. Somebody say opened tomb. If you've got the story the resource we've been using, you can look at page 382. I'm going to start reading at the bottom of the pages. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. We're going to talk about two things in that one verse. It says, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, 
and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, which is important, just as he said. Now, the, the Bible tells us that, 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 the, that it's, the, it's the early morning, Sabbath is over. This is important for us because one of the reasons why they delayed in going to the tomb is because in the Jewish tradition, in the Mosaic law, there were restrictions about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so we understand from the story of the Bible that, that Jesus died on a Friday night and that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they, they lobbied Pilate to get his body so they could prepare him before the Sabbath started because once the Sabbath started, they wouldn't be able to do it. So, so if you're wondering, why did it take them so long to get to the tomb? It's because they had to wait for the Sabbath to end before they could show up. So here they are on Sunday morning making their way to the tomb very early that day. And it's interesting to me what they bring. Because we're told in the text of the Bible that Jesus spoke plainly to his followers that he was going to be handed over to his enemies, he was going to die, and then he was going to be raised to life. So we see these women going to the tomb, but what they're taking and what they're not taking tells us something about their state of mind. They're not going with a change of clothes. They're going with instruments of preparing a body that is deceased. It's interesting to me that they're, 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 they're going to the tomb, even though they were told Jesus was, was going to be raised from the dead, but they weren't going with the types of things that you would take to someone that you would see who had been raised to life. We know that they've seen this happen with Lazarus, not too many days prior, but here they are on their morning, this morning, and they cannot possibly begin to conceive that Jesus could be living. It's hard for them to conceive that Jesus is still going to be alive. And the question that they're wrestling with is not whether they're going to find a risen Lord, but the question they're wrestling with is how are we going to get that stone out of the way? Because tombs were engineered in Jesus' day, especially these kinds of tombs. The, the stone would have, would have been placed on a little bit of an incline, and, and, and then it's, it's rolled down into like a, a little bit of a depression, and so it kind of settles in place. So, so if you are going to move it, you've got to be able to move it against the incline to get it back up. And here these group of ladies are saying there's no way humanly possible that we're going to be able to move that stone out from in front of the tomb, but yet they go anyways. There are times in our lives when God compels us to move towards the improbable. There are times in our lives when God compels us to move towards the improbable. I remember years ago, before we were here on staff at City Life Church, it was the first year that this church was planted. It was in, in 2006. It was a, a year before we actually ended up coming here to be on staff. And back in those days, you might recall that the church met in uh, the movie theater off of Victory Boulevard, set up and tear down on, sun, on Sunday morning. And, uh, and Vanessa's sister and her husband, 
uh, started the church that Vanessa's father planted out of Williamsburg. So we were on staff at a large church just outside of Richmond in Mechanicsville. I've been a part of that church for 17 years on staff for the last eight of it. We had every intention of being at that church for the rest of our lives. And we were on our way one summer out to the Outer Banks for a vacation. And so we said, let's leave early and let's stop by and go to church with Mike and Heather and, and visit this place called City Life Church just to encourage them. And there was about 100 or so people meeting in the movie theater, right? They had been there since about four in the morning, setting up teardown. Like, this is crazy, crazy. And, and, and so they're working hard. And so we're staying after to help them clean up. And, 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 and we get back in the car and we're on the way to the Outer Banks. I kid, I kid you not, Vanessa and I looked at each other and said, Whoo! aren't we glad God's never going to ask us to be a part of anything like that? Come on. And we were at a church that had over like 20-some staff. It was a multi-million dollar budget. It was a multi-generational church, which meant like you had three generations of families. People did not leave that church ever for nothing. It's like money grew on trees there. Budgets grew every year. Right? That was our, our life in ministry. And we looked at what Mike and Heather was doing. We're like, that's crazy. Crazy. And little did we know, just a few months later, God would begin to speak to our heart about coming here and leading this church forward. I remember soon after we got here, it's a family in the church, and the, the father of that family was a consultant for John Maxwell Ministries, and people would these, these churches would pay these enormous amounts of money for these consultants to come in to teach them how to grow and how to expand. And, and so I was all excited when, when he was going to come in, right, for the, to, to visit his family, and they were going to come to church because I was like, I, you know, I, I think we're doing a good job here. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what he has to say. And so we went out to lunch with him after the service, and we're sitting there. And, and so I look up, and he probably knows it's coming, right, because this is what he does for a living. And I, uh, I, I said, so, so you know, what did you think? And then he took a pause. And, and this is what he said. He said, I think it's going to take a miracle for this church to make it. <laughs> I kid you not. This is what he said. This is what he said. And so... I, right? I'm taking a deep breath, and I remember saying to him, I'm so glad that I'm in a church that believes in miracles. Come on. But when you hear someone say that, right, it takes the wind out of your sails. There are times in our lives where God is going to ask us to move towards improbable things. There are times in our lives where he's going to ask us to move towards things and commit ourselves to things before the outcome is predetermined. I love these women on the way, even though they went not with a change of clothes, but with spices, there was something inside of them that believed that there was going to be divine intervention for something that was to come. See, oftentimes the thing that God is asking you to move towards is actually even bigger than what you could ever imagine. They had no idea that they were about ready to be at the center of the biggest story in the universe of Jesus conquering sin and death. There are times in our lives where we feel compelled to move towards improbable things. How about all the other people that didn't even take the time to go with them? Where were all the men at? Come on. Right? That's another sermon for another time. Just a group of women moving their way towards that tomb. Are, are there some things in your life as you look back where you felt compelled 
to move something towards something improbable, but you let other people talk you out of it? Have there been times in your life where you felt compelled to move towards something improbable, but because you couldn't get all the details worked out, you chose not to? Can I just tell you some of the greatest adventures that are waiting for you in this life are going to require us to move towards improbable things and believe that God still is in the business of opening doors for you. Can we just agree, too, the stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that they could get in. It's not as though Jesus was trapped inside the tomb. I did it. And it's like an escape room. I can't figure out how to get out of here. Right? It's not as though Jesus came to life and couldn't get out. No, no, the stone was, he was already gone. The earthquake and the angel that rolled the stone away was so that those ladies could step in. See, it's, this is important for us. Because so many times the improbable things that God asks us to move towards, we think it's about our own success and our own notoriety. Because I chased that for a long time, and I'm telling you, it's not a good thing. See, when God asks us to move towards improbable things, oftentimes it's not even about the improbable thing that he's causing, asking us to move towards. It's about the work that he's trying to do in us. Those ladies were never the same again. The improbable things that God might be calling you to move towards, it's not about your success, it's not about your comfort, it's about building a testimony in you that's going to point other people to Jesus. Building a testimony in you that will point other people to Jesus. Somebody say opened eyes. So we find Cleopas and a friend of his, the day of the resurrection of Jesus, and they're on the way to a town called Emmaus. Now I'm going to jump down into the story. I'm on page 384. It says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So what they don't know, what we know, because we're reading after the fact, is that Jesus in disguise, right? They, he's not allowing them supernaturally to recognize him. He's in his resurrected state, but they don't see that either, right? And so he's walking with them on the road, and he strikes up a conversation with them. He's just a stranger to them. What things, he asks? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Right? There's defeat. There's disappointment. There's confusion. There's doubt. Even their confession of him, right, is not true to who they had previously believed that he was. This is in addition, some of our women, right, a little misogynistic, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body, right? They're speaking of Jesus as if he's still dead. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not find Jesus there, right? Their suspicion. Listen to what Jesus says to them. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
And if we were to continue reading, you realize that they continue on this journey, and then once they get there, they beg him to, don't, don't keep going. It says that Jesus was going to keep going. They talked him into staying, and as they sat down at the table, and he broke the bread, right, as they began to eat, it says their eyes were opened, and they realized who was with them, and then he disappears. I think sometimes we read these stories, and we've heard them taught so many times, we forget all the other things that are there. As I was studying this week, I, I, I was struck by this one moment where he looks at them and, he's, and he calls them fools. He, and then he questions their ability to believe their own religion and understand their own sacred text. He, he's a stranger to them. You tracking with me? He's just walking along and they're telling them a story and then he confronts them, challenges them, calls them foolish. How well do you do when you're sharing something that you believe and someone calls you foolish and challenges what you say, let's just, let's go to your Facebook for a second and check out, see how you do. Right? And, and instead of them being offended, they stayed engaged. They continued talking. There was something about this interaction that drew them in. So let me ask you this question. Are you willing to walk with people who challenge your ideas and your conclusions? Are you willing to walk with people who challenge your ideas and your conclusions? See, see them saying that he was a prophet was, was part of their, the, their belief system as Jewish people. Well, we understand there was 400 years of prophetic silence from Malachi to the beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist broke 400 years of prophetic silence. So for them, this idea that Jesus possibly just being a prophet, there's a whole history of prophets in the Jewish faith system. And, and as you look through the Old Testament, those prophets, guess what? They did all kinds of miracles too. So, so it, it, it wasn't as though there was this, this sense in them that Jesus still wasn't sent from God. They just couldn't quite get there that he was the Messiah because they had seen him die. See, what they had grown up being taught all their lives, they were convinced they were right. But then it took a stranger walking with them to challenge their point of view to help them see that maybe some of those beliefs were misplaced. Is it possible that God brings people into your life as you're walking along on your road to Emmaus and that you've got these ideas and beliefs that you've bought into, that you're convinced? Is it possible that God's going to bring people into your life? They're going to challenge your point of view and perspective we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but we get to Acts 15, 36 to 41, and we find that Paul and Barnabas, these two men that are giving birth to this, this thing called Christianity and the church, it says they had such a, a profound disagreement, their relationship was fractured. Can we just agree that sometimes conflict is not supposed to fracture relationships? Sometimes it's conflict that's necessary to build it. It's to build it. We look at that story of Paul and Barnabas, and sometimes maybe we read it with judgmental eyes, but 2,000 years later, I'm not so sure we're doing a better job with it now than they were then. On Wednesday night, which turns out was our last Wednesday night for a small group, one of the observations we were, we were sharing from the, from the text is the moment where, where Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. 
one of the people that had come to arrest Jesus, and I had shared that one of the things I believe, well, that was a prophetic picture, that Peter representing the church, and, and that sometimes the, the church that we're supposed to go to for healing sometimes becomes a place of harm. And it's a prophetic picture that if you've ever been harmed in the church, and it's significant that it's his ear was cut off because it, 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 it inhibits our ability to hear from God if you've got church wounds. It's a real thing. And then as I was praying over this message this week and reading the text, I, I had such a distinct sense from the Holy Spirit said to me, Fred, Peter isn't just a prophetic picture of the church, so is the angry mob. And I was like, wow, that's weighty. See, because the angry mob in Gethsemane was so deceived by its own echo chamber that they couldn't even recognize God standing in front of them. They were so deceived by their own echo chamber, but bought into only encouraging each other in what they already believed that in this moment of truth, even when Jesus says, we talked about this on Wednesday, even when Jesus says, I am he, they all fell down. Because of the power of God, you would think that would have been enough. They would have said, okay, I'm out. But they pressed on still. An echo chamber can be a dangerous place to live in. Are you willing to walk with people who challenge your ideas and, and conclusions? Let, let's be a faith community that does not allow conflict to fracture, but let's, as God intended, let it build relationships that can grow deeper and be open to the possibility that sometimes it's our mind that needs to be changed. The last one, somebody say open minds. Open minds. So it says they got up. This is Cleopas and his friend. We're not told who the friend is. We're not given that name. It says, then they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. Right? This is, this is the, the, the day of Jesus' resurrection. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them. So we know it, right, it wasn't just the disciples. It was those that were a part of Jesus' crowd. He has a crowd beyond the 11. And it's assumed that the women who had gone to the tomb would have been there as well, plus others. It says the 11 and those with them were assembled together saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has, and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way to them. And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Listen to this. And it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they had saw, seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why, why do doubts still rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And, and while they still did not believe it because, and, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They just, right, they just couldn't bring their natural mind to accept this impossible thing. So he says, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets 
and the Psalms. Now listen to what he says here. This is the last opening, right? He opens, there's a tomb that's open. The, the, the eyes of Cleopas and his, his friend is, is opened. And then we see here, listen to what it says. It says, then he opened their minds so that they can understand the scriptures. Come on. How much of the Bible are you failing to understand because you are neglecting making time for the people following Jesus with you? Let me read that again. It says, how much of the Bible are you failing to understand because you are neglecting making time for the people following Jesus with you? See, see, the context, I believe, of what's happening is important. It's another example. We've, we've been to so many Easter services, and so many of these texts have been read to us, but so oftentimes we only focus on the same things over and over. But, but right here in this same moment, right, the road to Emmaus bleeds right over into Jesus appearing for the, to the disciples for the very first time. Cleopas and his friend are at this little inn, this tavern in Emmaus, and they realize it's Jesus, and then all of a sudden Jesus disappears, and then they can't get back to Jerusalem soon enough. And we know they're part of Jesus' inner circle because they know where to find the 11 who are actually still in hiding. We know this from Scripture. They know where to go. They know where to look, and they find them all there, and some of them are still talking about what they saw and some of them still struggling to believe. Even those who saw things are still struggling to believe. And then they show up, and then they begin to tell their story about what Jesus had done for them. And it was in that moment when they were together that Jesus comes again. See, sometimes Jesus comes to us when we're alone. And he's going to keep doing that till the end of time. But can we just agree that there are also times when we're going to find him in community. There's things that he wants to say to us when we're by ourselves, but there's also things that he wants to say to us when we're together. There's things that he wants to do in us when we're alone, but there's things that he wants to do in us when we're together. There, there, there is an experience that he wants you to have with him when you're alone. But can we just agree there's also an experience that he wants you to have with each other, together with him. See, have you ever stopped to think that maybe, just maybe, that your story of how Jesus is changing your life and the story of how Jesus is changing other people's lives, that are, they're supposed to come together regularly in a group setting like this, and that there is revelation that we're going to find in Scripture that's only going to come when we find ourselves together learning of Jesus as a family. I love that it says that he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He opened their minds. Which means that they already had a lot of knowledge and information that already existed. The, the, the question was, did they have all the understanding that went along with it? See, see I, I believe when we're by ourselves, is there understanding? Sure. But a lot of the times when we're reading the Bible, it's, 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 it's building the information inside of us. And then oftentimes it's when we come together in corporate settings that there's revelation and understanding waiting to come. Our church, like a lot of churches, 
post-COVID. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back up. Birthed something called Online Church, which was birthed here. And we're grateful for Online Church. I think we have families in our church that have people that are immunocompromised. And Online Church is a gift for them. We have military people that are deployed all over the world. Online church is a gift for them. It's a gift for them. There's, 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 there's times in your, in your life where, where, where something comes up and you can't be here. Online church is, is a gift for people, even after the fact. All the people that log in and watch the service and are able to participate. But I just I, I want to tell you, online church was never intended, never intended to be exchanged for the practice and the discipline of gathering together as a church family week in and week out. It's supposed to be a resource that is given to us, but it was never intended to be a resource that displaces something else that we had before COVID. And, and, as, and, and as I was studying this text, I was thinking about what a powerful picture of Jesus saying to you and to me, there is an opening of the mind. There is an encounter with Christ. There is an understanding of truth in Scripture that we're only going to have when we come together. And that just as it was for Cleopas and his friend, just as it was for Mary and the other ladies with her, just as it was for Peter and John when they got back, they brought their story of how Jesus had spoken to them back into the community. This community needs your story of what Jesus is doing in your life. And, and can I tell you this? You need the story of what Jesus is doing in other people's lives for you. For you. So I'm sharing this as we're going into Thanksgiving. So this is, this is, my, this is, this is my challenge to you. If you find yourself logging in more than you find yourself showing up, then I want you to talk about it as a family. Have we lost a rhythm we need to rediscover? Just asking. Just asking. And, and, then, and then as you talk about it over these next couple, couple of weeks, this is, this is my challenge. Use December, use December as a month of transition. How, how, however often you've been coming, and if it's not been much, then just say in December we're going to do better. And, get, and give yourself December to, to begin to restructure and reorder your life. Because then in, in January, let's make it a hard pivot. Let's make it a hard pivot. There's probably close to 300 people, kids and adults, that call City Life Church their home. And we only see about a third of that week in and week out here in person. And, and this, is, this is my ask of you. Let's make this the upper room again. Let's make it the upper room again. Where people can't wait to leave where they're coming from, to get to the people of God, to talk with them about what Jesus is doing in you. And that you can't wait to come because you know there's a story of Jesus doing work in somebody else's life that you can't wait to hear. Stand with me. Jesus, we believe that you're still in the opening business today. Opening doors that seem improbable. Opening doors that maybe other people would say are impossible. Op opening doors that we can't even begin to fathom how it's going to be. But yet even still, 
you compel us at times in our lives to move towards improbable things. May it be, God, that we would not pull back from relationships with people that challenge us, oh God, but help us to press in. Help us to press in. Jesus, just like you did for Cleopas and his friend, they had some things that weren't quite true that they had bought into. Help us to endure the friction. Help us to embrace the conflict. To not let it fracture, but to build, to build. And may it be, oh God, may it be. The opening of the mind that we're all desperate for the truths that we've yet to discover, the, the, the knowledge that needs to become understanding, the understanding that needs to become wisdom, the information that needs to become revelation. Let there be a burning desire and a hunger inside of us to hear the stories of how Jesus is at work in other people that we love and care about and to find people that we love and care about who want to hear the stories of how Jesus is at work in us. Let's worship together.